0: Welcome to another episode of the Augmented podcast. Augmented reveals the stories behind the new era of industrial operations, where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. Technology is changing rapidly. What's next in the digital factory? Who's leading the change? What are the key skills to learn? And how to stay up to date on manufacturing and industry 4.0? In episode 51 of the podcast, the topic is Designing Industrial Reality in 3D. Our guest is Marcelo Cuello, Head of Design at Formlabs and lecturer at MIT. In this conversation, we talk about the emerging practices of industrial design in additive manufacturing using 3D printing, machine learning, and a high degree of customization. Augmented is a podcast for industrial leaders, process engineers and shop floor operators hosted by futurist Thrun Arnhemannheim, presented by TULIP, the frontline operations platform and associated with MFG Works, the industrial upskilling community launched at the World Economic Forum. Augmented, the Industry 4.0 podcast. Marcelo, how are you? Good. How's it going? I, I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to a conversation about design. What about you?
1: Likewise. Likewise. It's a perfect day for it.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm guessing for you any day is a perfect day for design.
1: It's like every, every day is <laughs> a perfect day every second.
0: <laughs> so we're gonna talk about a bunch of things. Um, I know you know, you're from Brazil originally, right? So you've had yeah, some fala in t- Brazil. Sao Paulo yeah and then you've had some 20 years in the u.s uh, being exposed to MIT and, uh, and other other places um, but but I know in your background I, I always ask my guests these funny questions and you said you do a mean uh, barbecue so you're, you're you're good on the on the barbecue
1: yeah and you are you're invited um, I particularly I love making picanha, um have you had Brazilian barbecue before? Of
0: course. Uh, that's I was going to get to that because when the yeah when the picanha gets around, I'm I'm yeah. all I'm all there. You
1: can't beat it. Yeah, and yes. I and I think that there's uh, I'm mean, talking about design. I think there's a lot of design in it. I think that the right picanha just has the right you know ratio of meat to fat to salt and um yeah I, to me it's a, it's a a culinary experience is very much a design experience in many ways and I think it's probably why I enjoy it so much.
0: You know I find that pretty pretty fascinating. I mean, people take an interest in in food these days, you know as as a design uh object, you know, in addition to nutrition, but uh, clearly, um design has entered so many spheres of our life, and I think that's partly what we're gonna talk about right it's uh it's easy to sort of just put it into a very either industrial context or or you know into some sort of a box. But I, but I wanted you maybe, maybe to start there, you know, when you think about your profession, which you, you're obviously now practicing at form Formlabs, um, and, and, and that's in and of itself pretty complicated because 3D printing was something people thought they had put into a box and, and then everything changes at the, as the materials change. So, yeah. so just broadly, what is design to you?
1: Um, For me, it's fundamentally about human experience. And and I think there's different kinds of design, right? You can think of design as part of engineering. You may be designing a part, for example. Uh, But the kind of design that I do and that I'm talking about is the one where you really look at how people interact with physical stuff or the physical world um, and make those – I think uh, the job of the designer is to make that experience better, easier, faster, uh, you know, reduce cognitive load. And uh, I think in particular when it comes to technology, that is really essential. I think that, you know, if you look at, like you're talking about printing, you know, being a box, um, but making that box easy to use, you know, give making its results repeatable and reliable, um, you know, putting that box, which is really a tool within other tools and creating sort of an ecosystem for creating stuff that people enjoy using, find it easy to use and allow them to, you know, literally get the stuff that's in their head and put it out in the physical world, I think that design has a huge role to play there. Um, typically what I tell, tell folks in my team is that if you, you know, c- come work at Formlabs, uh, if we succeed, and I think we are succeeding quite, quite well, we're going to completely change how we design and make things. So we're, we're not, like, I, I see that as our job, which not just, you know, design products, but to design how other people design if that makes sense.
0: So so bring me a little bit back to everything that you've experienced at uh, MIT Media Lab, because a lot of people uh, here, you know, you, you, you've heard about the Media Lab and you sort of have a vague sense that, you know, you do some interactive stuff there and you create these prototypes what, uh, the, the, the your sense of design, to what extent has it been shaped by this experience? Because you you went through the, the lab, right? You've, you have various degrees from there and now you teach there. Um, so there's just multiple angles I wanted to ask you about the Media Lab because it, you know the Media Lab in and of itself has changed and morphed. But one thing that really has been at the core is some notion of design, right? There's certainly, compared to many, many other labs, be they you know, academic or or kind of more applied. Certainly, one of the really defining things about the Media Lab, at least from the outside, is that people there have a very keen sense of design. What what is it that that experience has taught you, and what are you teaching people there now?
1: Yeah, so the, the maybe it might be helpful for me to like take a few steps a few steps back. So my my original background was in filmmaking. Um, that's sort of like what I set out to do when I, you know, first enter the academic world. Uh, I was really interested in film for, for that reason of experience, you know, it felt to me like a very powerful medium to create the sort of human, you know, not control human emotions, but create new kinds of emotions, guide emotions, you know, create, create human stories. Um, but technology is always a part of it. You know, I think particularly filmmaking, I think technology is filmmaking, you know, there's no film without a camera. So I started pursuing that, and then over time, got more and more into technology, and then found out about the Media Lab at MIT. And it it seemed like the perfect place, right, where technology and sort of this need for human things could kind of come together uh, in a single place. And I ended up going there to do my master's with Patty Maas, stayed for the PhD, and then after graduating... Um, I started teaching, and I, and I teach in the architecture department, which is a little broader than the media lab. So this sort of the higher umbrella for the for the department. Um, and we have this really cool program now. Where we're looking at teaching. We're teaching design to undergrads. So we have a new undergraduate design program at MIT. That's you know that's MIT focused has the MIT flavor, uh, but it's design. It's sort of the first time that MIT does that at the undergraduate level, and I'm really excited about it. I think that it will have very long-term implications for how we think about design, the kinds of designers that we're training and what will happen in the future. The, the reason I'm saying this, and I think that um, to kind of give you a better idea, you know, it's like, I think if you're thinking about design today and we learning about design, um, you, we're training designers today that are going to be operating as designers for the next, I don't know, like 50 years, um, so what are they going to do in the next 50 years, right? So number one is climate change. We're going to have to solve that. So they're going to need the tools to do that. Um, there's a lot of, no, bioengineering is a big field. So that's going to be a big part of that equation. So those designers might be designing not just objects, but you know, entire creatures or beings, because you can now do that in biology. Um, I think to, this is sort of a little bit of how I look at this. And same for 3D printing, right? So we're not, but the designers that operate in that space today are going to be designing how we make things in the future and how factories work and how those factories are inserted into urban contexts and, and all the things that come out of that.
0: Yeah, I like that framing, Marcelo, because uh, it's so easy to, I guess, both educate people for the current society and also think of yourself as like, you know, I have to be proficient at whatever is in front of your eyes and you think that's what what, what matters. But I can see that in the, in the longer term, design is one of those fields that really is gonna change things, and also the, what you're pointing out is that what what the what a designer does is going to change drastically um, yeah. so so you have combined this interest in well you know you said filmmaking, but you're also working as an artist at the same time as you are. Working, you know, I guess as a consultant and also, you know, obviously as an educator. Uh, and then at Form Labs, where you have a responsibility, presumably for product teams designing actual industrial products that have to be used today.
1: Yeah. So I had, I had a very robust, I'd say, career as an artist before joining Form Labs. Um, and it was, it, was, it was pretty incredible. One of the biggest projects I did was working for the Paralympic ceremonies in Brazil. Um, and that was a really, um, it's a life-changing experience where you're not designing a thing, you're designing a stadium of things. Um, so that was pretty, pretty incredible. But it but but felt, at the end of it, it didn't feel fulfilling. I think that that's sort of my big kind of career change. At the end of doing something like that, you know, the, the day after the event's over, everything you've done is over, and it doesn't build up and sort of accumulate over time. Uh, and to me that was the biggest reason to sort of come to form labs you know really think about something in the long term uh, you know design a product that will affect the lives of millions of people uh, and over time keep making it better understand what people need and keep improving it and keep keep it growing and I think sort of foster that that direction rather than a thing if that makes sense
0: the the other thing I wanted to to cover is I, I, I know a lot of our listeners are in industry, various industries, and they're thinking about their products as, you know, we have to first create the product and then we slap a design on it when we're done with the product. But I'm sensing from uh, not just what you're saying, but from uh, what others uh, that I interview are are saying that you know this is a very old old version of, of, of design because the use case and the expectations the users have, you can't just start thinking about that at the end. How does that shape your, your work at, at Formlabs, Labs, for example? At what stage do you start thinking about the end design?
1: It depends on the product. Um, and I think that and at what state the product development process is a little bit. So let's say we're creating a new let's say we're creating a new printer, a new printing technology. So I think before we, we, we worry too much about humans, I think we need to worry about making the thing work. So, I think yes. that you know, there's, there's a lot of engineering work that goes into like, can this thing print? Uh, and uh, in particular, Form Labs, like, we're like dead on focus on doing that. And there's a lot of time and resources and a lot of really incredible people mm-hmm. that just spend a lot of time making sure that this machine sprints incredibly well. Um, but once we know, once we're like, okay, it looks like we know how this is going to work and there's a good direction, a good path here, then we, we have to start thinking about how do we turn that technology into a product. And I think that's where the human part comes in. Then you start asking questions, You know, how should somebody use this? What information do they need to use it? Where does it go? You know, is this on a table, is it on a floor? Um, I think then those questions help you answer what the product is rather than what the technology is. And I think that that's sort of the fundamental difference. Hmm
0: if if we go into uh kind of the design space especially i guess how it's currently applied in industry and then we'll 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 move into what you think uh, you know is going to uh, evolve here the whole concept of 3d printing is sort of interesting because if you if you just at the face value you're like okay we're 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 printing it's like liquid materials and then you're sort of basically printing it for me it doesn't even really feel like printing covers it uh Stupid and, and then
1: nuts, isn't it? <laughs> Right.
0: And then a lot of people then say, "Well, you, yes, exactly, it's not really printing, it's additive." So then the whole concept of additive manufacturing comes in. Can you explain, in a simple, simple way, what, what it is that this technology fundamentally does, especially as relevant to kind of communicating it to, to users and, and to people who are going to understand what 3D printing is going to be, uh, not just now, but you know as it evolves?
1: Yeah. So I think in, in very broad terms, 3D printing means that you're creating physical objects, physical things by adding one layer of material at a time. So you're literally just accumulating layers of material until you can build an object. Um, there's lots of different techniques for doing that. So our farm labs have two in particular, SLA, which is um, uses a liquid resin that when you shine a light onto it, it hardens. So we, we basically get a thin layer of resin, you shine a laser on it, it hardens, we move this little platform up a little bit, do another layer, move it up, do another layer, and then he, by adding up these layers, we can create things or objects. Um, we have another one that's SLS, which is a uh, sintering, and that uses a, a powder that sort of gets fused together, sintered together. Um, sim- similar idea, we're using again a laser to sort of get this pieces of material to you know, join. Um, but but in this case it's a powder rather than a liquid and and the different technologies you know have different applications and sort of different trade-offs and the kinds of things you can do with it and what they're really good for
0: if people are trying to understand or engage with this field i mean w- what are the factors they should be thinking about so different materials seem to be kind of i mean engineers are working really hard at making different materials fused together and work together in the, in these printers. So that's one aspect. And, uh, you know, that obviously would change the kinds of things that you can make and the, you know, the properties of, the, of those things at the end of the day. Um, but there seems to be also a lot of visions here about how 3D printing generally would be able to decentralize uh, industrial production as we know it, you know, can you talk a little bit about how these, I, I guess it's more than early experiments because there's now, and maybe you can speak to this, you know, you know these printing uh, technologies are used in industry today, but what are the kinds of things that you, the new use cases that you see emerging that you find I guess one, the most fascinating, maybe you tell me, uh, tell us about some of those, but then also sort of realistically, like how is it going to ch- change the way that we think of factories or the way we think of just regular production of things that we see around us and that we buy in the store uh, or, or, or perhaps that we use, you know, in our offices and, 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 you know, in, in, uh, industrial production today.
1: Yeah, this, this is a, it's an awesome question. And I think a very huge one as well. Um, so I think if you like, maybe go back to the basics a little bit. The uh, the reason why three D printing is interesting is because it's digital, right? It's computational. So you are creating a design or you know a part in a computer in a CAD tool, and then you send this to a machine, and you're sending a digital file to that machine, and the machine knows how to create a part from that design. Um, if you look at other traditional ways of doing things, you know maybe like injection molding, for example, um, there might be some component that's digital, but eventually end up with a tool that's analog, that's a a big piece of metal with a hole in it that you put into a machine that then extrudes plastic parts uh, or sorry, that kind of pushes plastic part into it and then injection mold lots and lots of parts. Um, So the nice thing about making it digital is that you can start bringing the versatility of the sort of digital computational world all the way up to the product. You don't have to stop it before. So typically the way you think about products today, right? It's like you go to a store, you know, online or physical and you, you know, look at thing, check it out. Now this looks roughly what I want. If you're lucky, you can get to pick the red one or the blue one, you know, maybe have a little choice of color Um, and then you use it for a number of years. And then, you know, that eventually breaks or you, it looks worn out and you don't like it anymore and you toss it away and you buy a new one. So that's, that's the, how products work today. And, there's no computers in there. There's no digital information there. Like those products don't know anything about you, how the product got used. They don't know where you like, they don't know where you live. Um, And that's an incredibly missed opportunity. It's almost insane that things are the way they are right now, if you you really think about it. Because I think people, things used to be different. It used to be that people, would we'll be more involved with making the things that they needed you know so if you make a shoe and it doesn't work too well we can go there and make some adjustments and that's a great shoe uh but i think we're really disconnected from that And i think 3d printing uh in digital fabrication in general has the opportunity to bring some of that back and, and i think it's happening it's happening right now like i think we're you know as printing gets cheaper and we and, and faster so we can produce more and more parts we're starting to see it you know being used more and more in products and i'm it start with like really high end applications, you know, things that you really need it for, um, and that's typically things that I call medical or something that you're customizing specifically for yourself, uh, sort of high value applications. And then as it gets cheaper and more affordable, we're going to start seeing it in more and more products. And if we then sort of like you know dial, you know, turn the, the the time dial ahead and kind of look what's what's going to be like in the future, um, I think that very much our relationship to physical products is going to change. I think that. Products are going to be highly customized to you. Um, also, products are not going to be this monolithic thing that you buy and then has a an, you know a named lifecycle. I think that we're going to be upgrading and changing and iterating on products as they develop, you know, sorry, over time and as you use them. Uh, I don't think this is going to be just about a, a single person doing that. I think that's going to happen across multiple people. So it might be that you discover some interesting way to use your chair, uh, or that maybe the way you use your chair helps. You know, helps me redesign my chair, for example. So I think that there's the sort of sort of social and global scale of it as well. And I think in the long term, I think that you know, if we can do that, and if we start creating these, um, the sort of new kinds of products, that they'll be able to service more local needs, you know, in communities and in regions, and they'll be able to respond to specific, you know, requirements of different parts of the world. I think in in more sort of optimized ways. So the idea of having this gigantic factory somewhere you know, that can produce millions of parts that then have to be shipped all over the world sounds completely absurd in this world, right? It's like what you really want is you want to go down you know, the main street where you live and maybe there's a little shop that you can go get your new shoe designed. Um, and that is the exact shoe for you and the best one you could possibly ever get. And it was made just down the street. And the digital file that describes that object is the same one that somebody maybe in China uses, but without all that crazy logistics of shipping stuff all over the place and making these objects that are that are made for everybody. And then in that are made for no one.
0: Well, I mean, these are fascinating um, sort of future use cases. And I would love to see that evolve where are we now i mean even if you think about simpler things like I, I you and i were talking about a backpack earlier something as simple as that i mean i have kids that are starting school and you know there's always a question of do you need a new backpack or not and then you, we get these catalogs and to your point this morning i was just uh, you know listening to my daughter talk about the different colors and she was asking me about the different colors i liked but that was it right there was zero choice. So we are in 2021 right now and and that's the choice we have. Can you be very specific about what a backpack is going to look like in in this sort of a, in, in a new scenario where everything about it is not just printed but it's interactive in some way?
1: Yeah, so the let um, I me mean, let's use the backpack as a as a as a generic example um, but, if, uh, but, it, but it's a great example because I think it's a very personal object, right? It's an object that, you know, serve very particular needs. It's, uh, you know, there, there's a fashion and sort of aesthetic component to it, but there's also a very functional and practical side of it as well. Um, and it's also very close to your body. You know, you, you're holding it, it gives you back pain. It needs to be adjusted so you can carry the most amount of load for all the different scenarios you have in life. So that's a great example of an object that can and serves multiple problems yet it's typically designed for a few for one or two um, so so in my, in my mind a backpack should be something more like you know maybe i take some measurements i you know put that on a website uh you know that creates a design and then i i get a new a new bag uh use it maybe the clip is not the right size um you know you can imagine the future you know Parts of the textile could have sensors, so it knows how it's being used by you, uh, and it knows what parts where they you know, the fastest because of the way that you use it. Uh, and then maybe when I'm done using it, I could ship it back to a company, they send me the updated version based on all the information they've learned from me using it. Or it could be that maybe it happens in real time, it looks like you're using your backpack in this way, here's a better clip design that we've designed just for you. Um, so I think these are the things that we're going to start seeing. We're, we're getting really close. I think that right now, for example, um, you know, even at Formlabs, you know, parts of our printers are printed in our printers. Like we're actually using our machines to make the product, not just the prototype, but the final product. Uh, and that gives us a lot of agility. If we need to make changes to the product for whatever reason, we can. Um, so, no, if we start doing more of that, more people start doing that. Um, it, it would just really sort of become it would become a natural part of the ecosystem, I think.
0: How, how long has that been going on, that you're actually using y- your own, pro- you're printing your own product, essentially?
1: I think the first example of that that we did was, um, there was a clip for holding cables on the Form 2. There's sort of an internal part in the printer that we realized we needed it. Uh, based on the production volume, it was a lot more affordable for us to print it ourselves and we could get more complex geometries by doing that than doing it through injection molding, for example. It gives us a shorter timeline too. I think I remember at the time, it was something that we had to re- resolve very quickly. And then when we, once we did that, we we're like, oh, this is actually great. We should do, you know, like our customers, we should do this and incorporate them into our products. Uh, and then if you look at Fuse right now, which is our, our one of our latest uh, printers, there are a bunch of parts, the handle is printed, we have this IR shroud um, on top of it that's printed, some connectors, there's a bunch of stuff. And a lot of stuff that's like you, the user's handle, you know, the people are touching and are using, Um, it's really, really cool to see it. I think it's like, to me, that's sort of the, it's kind of the transformational step, you know, you're not talking anymore about the thing that happens before the real thing, you're talking about the actual real thing. and you see this in other places as well, right? So we work a lot with New Balance. They're uh, printing shoes or parts of shoes, um, and you know, learning as we go and improving designs. Um, and the dental industry is a big one as well, where um, you know, it's anything from uh, dentures all the way to you know, like well, you can think of like jigs that you can use to like do you know uh, different operations and things like that. So so it's it's really permeating sort of all of the space of stuff Um, yeah Uh,
0: i know this is not perhaps mainly your area but there there are also some critics of of 3d printing who would argue that yes it's fascinating but you know you're talking about some products but in fact a, a lot of it is still sort of prototypes what are some of the tricky things currently you know, in, in 3d printing, what are some of the really big challenges that stops 3d printing from literally shutting down regular factories and completely changing things so that, you know, um, this prospect that we were talking about that you could just go to your neighborhood printing shop and get your shoe and get your backpack. And it would all be sort of in this kind of new paradigm. What is it that's really stopping us
1: from this? I think there are a bunch of things. Um, you know, that I think are not stopping it but it maybe slowing it down from you know, happening a little faster. Um, cost is one, right? So it's still it's still more you know, if you're going to make a million of something, you'll probably still be cheaper to injection mode than 3D printed. Th- that is changing, you know, we see there's like you know c- curves of cost, you know, and and number of parts sort of going down over time. So um, that's changing. I think the other one is tooling. You know, if you if you set up a factory twenty years ago and you spend you know, many millions of dollars doing that, you're going to be very reluctant to redo it. So, you're you're only going to you know, incorporate new tools if you need them and if it really gives you an advantage. Um, so, but if you're starting a new one, then things are a little different, right? Then then you're you're probably more willing to invest on the new stuff because um, you have less capital investment. In. Um yeah, th- those are a few of the examples. I think there's also speed. I think that um, 3D printing is still not as fast as other techniques. Again, depends on the part, depends on what you're doing. 3D printing, I think on the other hand, it gives a lot of complex geometry. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a trade-off. Um, another one is is design knowledge and fabrication knowledge. You know, I think we need people that are trained to operate in that industry and think, of, think about design and thinking about engineering with 3D printing in mind. Um, it's, uh, it's typically best when you're creating things that you start by thinking about how you're going to make it, right? So it's like you don't, you don't start designing something by being, let me make this thing, but I don't know how I'm going to fabricate it. And you, you need to figure out how you're going to do it. That's typically the first thing you try to answer. Um, so with 3D printing, ideally you want to say, hey, I'm going to make, I don't know, a new phone, but I'm going to start with 3D printing in mind so that all the design decisions that I, that I make through the process will be about 3D printing and it will take into account the trade-offs of the particular fabrication technique. Um, so I think that that needs to happen from you know, the, the purviews of designers and engineers. Uh, and then we also need you know, factories and fabrication shops that know how to work with 3D printing, you know, know, know what works, know, know what doesn't, uh, know the processes around um, operating lots of printers, so I think there's a lot in there. This, you know, to, to knowledge, money, um, and things take time. I think I think new technologies take time to get incorporated into sort of the mainstream of how we do things.
0: I was just curious about that aspect, uh, the educational aspect. I've, I've, um, on a different podcast interview, I was uh, talking to uh, people who who are redesigning the curriculum at MIT, and you know, and design is indeed. It seems to at least be the aspirational, uh, you know, to become a, a, a bigger part of of the student education. Earlier, is that something that you're seeing reflected as well, or is it still, you know, the domain of of, of architecture and, uh, you know, in uh, on the purely, you know, on uh, on your side of the campus? Um,
1: I think there's a few parts to it. Like, if you look at students today when you talk about making things, 3D printing is the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, you know, when, when I when I started my sort of academic journey, when you, you know, you talk about drilling a hole and somebody, you know, get a power drill or, or press. Um, but if you now talk about drilling a hole, people would think about laser cutter. I think that the, the way that we think about the stuff is changing. I think that a sort of new generation is learning different tools, and that's really incorporating to their way of thinking about how stuff gets made. Um, but I think, at, at a very large um, sort of view of what's happening, computation is a really strong element of, of the MIT curricula. I think there's, um, I, w- I counted it the other day, I think there's like 130 classes that mention machine learning in the course description. Um, which is really incredible. It's it's basically you now like a, a large portion of the MIT uh, classes, you know, are, are focused on this one kind of technology or or another sort of way to uh, understand and sort of represent the world. Uh, so we're going to start seeing that everywhere, you know, like in in we already are, but it's like I think that it's going to become really just another tool yeah. um, that has an effect on 3D printing because it's digitally designed and we're going to start seeing it in biology and uh, everything that you do, basically. So, um, yeah. Sorry, I don't know if, if I answered your question.
0: Uh, no, no, that's that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm also interested in how that affects, uh, you know, workers, the industrial worker, because, you know, we have a lot of people on this podcast uh, and, and I asked them about augmentation and about yeah. how technology... Currently and in the future will augment workers because in the industrial age, there was such a focus on mass production uh, and and efficiency of the overall factory was the main priority, right? And 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 you know and getting stuff out. Um, but as we're seeing some of these changes in industry, and I'm I'm s- sort of I guess uh, thinking that um, there is an aspect of additive manufacturing, which also gives some of the control back to the worker. Can you talk a little bit about to what extent digital production uh, you know, with, you know, with design in, in, in mind can, can also give workers more control over uh, what they do and what they produce um, and, and perhaps bring some more creativity back into the industrial workplace?
1: Yeah, I mean, or is that, or
0: think, am I just making this up? Is that really just part of the the far future?
1: Uh, no, I don't think you're making it up at all. Actually, I think that there is. Um, I think we can go back to my early example, right, of thinking about you know digital information and computation, sort of you know kind of growing and becoming part of how we make physical things. So we, we talked a lot about you know the the, the kind of printing apart and the kind of me- mechanics of that, and maybe mechanics of design. Um, But once you start, let's say, like operating printers, banks of printers, um, you know, or or printers with other things, right, with like laser cutters and milling machines and new tools that we haven't invented yet. Um, The dynamic between these tools and how they come together needs to be a digital experience. It's a a high, you know, it's 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 an information with, sorry, it's an environment with a lot of information, highly contextual, highly related to the stuff that's happening in front of you. So this is a place where things like augmented reality, you know, become really crucial and really important. Um, I think that when when we talk, I think a lot about, you know, people not being trained to use this technologies, Mm but I I would ask, do they need to be trained? Like, can't can't we develop technologies that incorporate the training as part of the tool? Like, why do these need to be separate things? Um, I think think it's, I I find it arrogant to think that, you know, we can reinvent the world technically, and that there's an entire, you know, section of society that now all of a sudden has to learn new things and do things differently. Uh, I think it's it's I think it's not it's not a fair way to look at the world, and I think that that's not going to lead us to build better societies. So I think that we need to design tools that are that are easy to use, that people want to understand right away, you know, that fit into an environment that they can learn how to use them and become sort of active participants in the things that they're making. Um, I think that fundamentally, the I um I used to I used to have this um uh, friend who is in uh, who is an engineer, and he's 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 was, he was German. Came from a very sort of long family tradition of engineers, uh, and he, the he gave me this advice early on that I thought was really valuable. He was like, you know, if you wanna if you wanna make stuff, go to the go to the floor and talk to the people operating the machines. They know how to make things. Talk to them about what you want to do, and they they'll they'll guide you towards the right path, and. Um, and, and, and not only doing that, but they'll be your partner in the design process. I think that's really, really crucial. And I, I think, if anything, digital has the opportunity to do more of that, right? Because tools can be communication devices as well. So um, I, I'm excited about it. I think that there's a lot of really cool opportunity um, for, you know, reinventing how we make things, including more people in that process, people that even traditionally are not part of it at all but we have to actively work on it. I don't think that this is something that is just going to magically happen. Hmm. Uh,
0: lastly, if we if we kind of extrapolate on all these things into sort of n- next decade developments, are we going to recognize a factory? Are we going to recognize These very basic products, we talked about a backpack, you talked about a chair, we can talk about cars or computers or indeed anything that fits into a home or even an an industrial sort of factory. Are these tools and products going to be fundamentally different just 10 years from now or are we talking about still very much of an evolution?
1: I think would probably be a little bit of a mix. I think that there are things that are very fundamental to, you know, the things that we do. So I, for example, I can't imagine that humans are going to stop wearing shoes anytime soon. Um, But, but I think what might happen is that we might end up with a much wider range of shoe designs that serve a much broader, you know, number of needs in the world. So I think that that's how I see it a little bit, like not so much of, um, you know, I mean it always happens that with technology we do see fundamentally new kinds of products, but I think the biggest impact won't necessarily be that. I think it's just gonna be into more variation, you know, more 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 needs that are better served, if that makes sense. Sure.
0: Um lastly, Marcelo, if you were to advise someone who is thinking about this fascinating new world of design to to learn more. So, you know, they could be a student, they could be someone who's actually on the factory floor right now. What is the best way currently to get deeper exposure to all these exciting developments in in uh, additive or or in 3D printing specifically?
1: Yeah, so I think that the first step, try to get access to some equipment that's like that, like a digitally controlled piece of equipment that you can use and play with and understand how it works. I think that that will give you a very sort of important heads-on knowledge of how this stuff works. Um, but, but I think the, the bigger advice, and that's the one I think I give to all my students, is learn how to program, learn how to write software. You don't have to be good at it. You don't have to even like it. Uh, learn enough so you understand what the fundamental principles are that are underlying this technology. because it is, and it will become more and more part of everything that we do. Um, the, I think that the other one, and this is something that I worry more and more about is um, you know cl- climate change and what we're gonna do about it. It's a really complex problem. It's going to require everybody to do something about it in some capacity, and we're gonna have to do it all coordinated in some way and, and fast. Um, so you know, I think that the other is figure out what your part of that puzzle is and let's all solve it together.
0: Fantastic! Look, it's uh, an interesting journey that you took us on there, because in you know whether it's industrial or other use cases, design is certainly. I mean, it's always and has been such a big part of our our world, but sometimes we don't see it right because we're not part of it. And uh, you're yeah. painting the picture of a world where more workers, more students, perhaps, and 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 also more consumers are taking more active. Uh, choices and are able to shape their environment. And, and that certainly sounds very human. And, uh, you know, that's a, a, a positive development, but with the backdrop of these uh, enormous challenges. I thank you uh, so much, Marcel, for, for sharing the uh, observations with us.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. It was a fun chat.
0: You have just listened to episode 51 of the Augmented Podcast with host Trond Arne Unheim. The topic was designing industrial reality in 3D. And our guest was Marcelo Cuello, head of design at Formlabs and lecturer at MIT. In this conversation, we talked about the emerging practices of industrial design in additive manufacturing. My takeaway is that making products accessible is hard work. Industrial design is not an afterthought. The best companies are getting good at it. Why? because they are bringing customers closer to them, to learn and to explore. In fact, people are potentially getting closer to the making process than ever before. We have the opportunity to literally shape our future, our surroundings and the things we touch, use, work with and enjoy in our leisure. That's a whole other level of customization forget personalization this is way more than being able to adapt to your personality it is attuning to your very purpose and context as a situated human being with ever-changing resources needs and interests thanks for listening if you liked the show subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars if you liked this episode You might also like episode 36, Digital Lean, episode 29, The Automated Microfactory, or episode 33, Sustainable Manufacturing at Scale. Here's Brian Matthews, CTO of Wright Machines, talking to me about The Automated Microfactory in episode 29.
2: The Automated uh, Microfactory today is a set of modular Lego-like building Blocks, um, where you have standardized, already proven, already inventoried um, uh, devices that can do various process steps, but they're all under software control. So you design your line in software, you program your line in software, you simulate it, and you deploy it all through software. And then you can manage it. You can have IoT, get data back from that, um, and improve your next uh, revision of that. That's, that's kind of what you can do today. I think, you know, tomorrow is where you get into the cloud. And you start bringing machine learning, and you get answers and insights from that, and you bring that data all the way back to the design base so you make a better design in the first place. And then I think the other part of this is instead of just re- having IoT report on how your machines are working, in the future, we're going to make that bi-directional. The, the machine learning system is going to tweak the parameters of the temperatures and the torques and the pressures of the line dynamically real-time, closed-loop continuous improvement.
0: Hopefully, you'll find something awesome in these or other episodes. If so, do let us know by messaging us, and we would love to share your thoughts with other listeners. The Augmented Podcast is created in association with Tulip, a connected frontline operations platform that connects the people, machines, devices, and the systems used in a production or logistics process in a physical location. Tulip is democratizing technology and empowering those closest to operations to solve problems. Tulip is also hiring. You can find tulip at tulip.com. Please share this show with colleagues who care about where industry and especially industrial tech is heading. To find us on social media is easy. We are Augmented Pod on LinkedIn and Twitter and Augmented Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. See you next time. Augmented Industrial Conversations That Matter.